A can-do attitude can take you a long way in life, as Stephen Hunt at TAB knows. A can-do attitude took punters a very long way. They said, we can win, and we did win on uh, New Year's Day. It was um, a very special day racing for obvious reasons. We've carried on about Warren Kennedy's seventh for at nauseam. But I think the result of that, as I welcome in Stephen Hunt, was uh, overall punters seem to have a pretty good day at the office, Hunty. (laughs) To say the least, Louie, happy New Year to you. And uh, just an incredible day. Uh, It's one of those days where, you know, when I was young watching Maccabi Diva win three Melbourne Cups and, at the time, you go, oh, yeah, that will be achieved again. No big dramas. But then you sit back on it year after year and you go, well, hold on a minute. That won't be seen in a lifetime. Not my lifetime and not many. But uh, I think with what Warren was able to achieve on New Year's Day, what's well, comparable purely because it was on such a big day, a premier day where you had all the stakes up for grabs. You had our premier jockeys. It wasn't a jockey, a northerner jockey who had superior form going down south and taking on no disrespect to maybe the B or C grade jockeys and winning five or six or seven on that given day. It was one of our pinnacle days of the racing calendar. You had Opie Boston, you had Jason Collett back from Australia, you had Mark McNabb, two-time premiership winner, and other jockeys who had been at the best of their form in the last recent or last few months. And Warren, look, the horses he was on, they weren't $2, 3 $4 shots. There are genuine each-way quotes, and he got the job on all different scenarios, on speed, off speed, underneath, in terms of inferior ground, which we probably over-labeled throughout the day. And he just worked out tempos, and that was kicking off in the first um, against aboard a, a Grand Gallo, which they absolutely crawled. He was in the back third of the field. He looped them before the straight, and he got the job done. It was a 10 out of 10 ride, and it just fallen into place from there. Yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't. And this is the thing I spoke to Lance O'Sullivan about uh, yesterday, Steve, was that um, he, he did it in different fashions. and Like, it wasn't just beating up on dollar eighty shots, you know, just sitting one back and then just letting the horse go around and do the work. He actually had to, he had to think about everything he was doing. But Lance explained it like, when you're in a form, when you're in a form like that, you just have so much more time. Um, everything is slowed down. And that makes the decision-making easier. And it's kind of like hard for us mere mortals to understand they haven't competed at the top level of any sort of sport. But, you know, he kind of explained it like when Dan Carter was in the form of his life, he could drop kick a ball without thinking about it, and he could do it in plenty of time. Even if the literal amount of time people running at him, you know, that wasn't – there's not more time suddenly. But he feels like he has more time, so he can execute his skill better. And I think that was a beautiful way and a beautiful analogy to put it. Um, the ride on Grand Gallo was superb. You know, I I was all about pour the wine. Well, yes, pour the wine was ready to win, and it was a field that she should have been beating, but she only won because Warren Kennedy found a gap when he did. She could have been a hard luck story. 100%. And, uh, look, there was other rides as well. Habana, how did he get up on Habana in the last drive? We'll touch on that race in more detail in the next five to ten minutes, Louis. But, look, just on that, and looking at the Premiership, now, you go back historically last 10, 15 years, there's probably been a handful of a, of a premiership that's gone down to the last week or two or even the last month. You go back in the last four or five years, the jockey who has won the premiership has gone out by possibly 20, 30 wins, and it's been a one-act affair. This year could be the genuine highlight of the season. This jockey premiership between Michael McNabb, who's in the best form of his career, 
burst the new man on the block in terms of Warren Kennedy. We know he's not young, but he's done his, uh, what you'd say, his career to date over in South Africa and has been here for just over a year or so. And what has unfolded in the last two to three weeks, you had Warren Kennedy, who was out by, I think, around about 10, 12 wins, got suspended for a couple of weeks. Michael McNabb took the opportunity, rode a couple at New Plymouth at Taupo prior to Christmas, three wins at Hastings to get neck and neck with Warren. Then Warren comes out and goes, OK, I'll return serve with seven wins on New Year's Day. And then Michael yesterday wins three at Tauranga. It's just a real jewel. And I could see this unfolding for the next six to seven months when we get to the pointy end of the season they're almost identical strike rates they've had similar rides compared to where they sit in the premiership and they both ride for different stables predominantly you've got warren kennedy riding for cambridge stud lance noble and then you've got michael mcnab who is linked to the tony pike stable yes they cross over in different stables the tiakos etc but Look, it's a mouth-watering contest, which I think can unfold to one of the highlights of not just this season, but you could go back in years to come and see these two jockeys fight out this premiership week by week. It's going to be a great story going forward. It is. And I think what's remarkable is, um, you know, like talking, you're so right to point out Nabber because he's striking at under five again. He's actually got a better strike rate than Warren Kennedy. Um, and he's trying, like, he, he actually is in, in his best form ever. And then you've got Joey Doyle there, who is working overtime to keep in touch with these guys. He's only seven off Michael McNabb and 12 off Warren Kennedy. So he's there as well, chasing really hard, and he's doing a lot of travel. It's, um, it's a really strong and exciting period for the, the jockey premiership. And uh, I guess the other, yeah, you know, like, we can't go too far. And yes, Opie's Opie, but shout out to Lisa Allpress and Tina Komanyagi, right? They do absolutely outstanding jobs in their jurisdictions for punters, both striking around seven, seven and a bit, and they just are so reliable what they do. So uh, I think in fifth and sixth in the Premiership, they deserve a shout-out. Hey, um, Stephen, actually, I think it's amazing to, to look back on what was, but at the same time, I <laughs> I think about... The, the, the feature of the day, and I think about Warren Kennedy 7, but in my head, the thing that's etched into my head was YTAC flying through the field in the railway. I know, I think you and I have similar opinions on this. I couldn't see it happening. I just could not rationalise in my brain YTAC running that time, beating that field, but he did it. He had a bit of fortune. A gap appeared. I think Bonnie Lass, you could make an argument that say that she would have gone very close, potentially won. Um... But I cannot believe still that Whitehack sprinted that well fresh, and I think it's a hell of a training effort. What did the numbers say? Well, they've gone out extremely hard, Louis. Uh, Thirty-five sixty-three to the six hundred, which is converted to lengths five point nine lengths above open class. They've come home, look, thirty-four and thirteen, so not slow. But in terms of that score, you have to say the race shape was ideally suited to horses that were in that neutral position to back third, and that's how how basically the race unfolded. Waitak, who was, I think, still last with a fair long to go. But look, you're right. Waitak was one of those horses in that particular race on New Year's Day, which I, I just couldn't get any confidence around. Uh, from a price angle, I did really lack confidence when working out a probability around Waitak, where the rest of the field, the majority of the field, you knew their peak. Uh, they had all had a number of starts at that level and in particular over six furlongs, 1,200 metres, where Waitak had only had the two runs to date over 1,200 metres early in his three-year-old career. 
and obviously last start at Tarapa, where he did run a really good time. It was a, a strong number on the clock in the early part of December, I think, on the 2nd of December at Tarapa, but he just had to convert that. He was stepping up to weight for eight. wasn't ideally suited at set weights and penalties off his rating, and you knew he was going to be a low percentage play from that draw and get back to the last third in the race. So... Look, it was. A, I don't think it was a fluke, Louis. I, I really don't. I think uh, they've worked out this horse that he's going to be kept fresh over shorter distances, but he could still find his peak over 1,600 metres, but that might be his limit in terms of a distance for the majority of his career going forward. But look, in terms of the beating brigade, you mentioned a couple there that they had genuine excuses. I think the major talking point was Babylon Berlin and Sacred Satona. They both ran well below Benny expectation. Look, I'd be more concerned on those two runners if they'd got beaten by, say, one and a half, two lengths. But because they've both beaten basically at the top of the straight, it suggests to me there was more to it. And I think there was a, a, a lot of horses throughout the day that were right in the market, that pointy end that ran well below expectation. I think it came down to the track. And that's no knock on the track. The track has played outstandingly well considering the rain that's been fallen. You had a lot of horses that presented and ran on the track with the rail was in the true position on Boxing Day. So, look, it was just genuine wear and tear. But I do think that that track did play a factor to a lot of horses that were well on the market and they ran well below betting expectation. I feel Babylon, Berlin, Sacred Satono sit in that position in that mode and they're worth another, another crack wherever they may go in the future. Ah, it's really interesting. I don't, I don't hate the theory. I don't know if I agree with it, um, because we well, just look at their like, last, so, start, last start performance, yeah. Louis, in that Concord, they rated through the roof. They rated well below where that rating produced in the Concord. Well below. If they ran close to that Concord number, they almost quinella that railway. Now, I know there's a lot to go, a lot of variables. You just can't but, go but, off one number. But, like, if you, but. if you look at the... So you look at the report, right? What, I mean, Jason Collett would have felt if Babylon Berlin wasn't loving the surface. Yeah, like he possibly. Would have, he, would have possibly said, he, would, he, he would have said that. And what I don't understand is... So just... It, this is actually really interesting. The replay has just come up now on Trackside, by the way. So Johnny Johnny... Uh, literally, this is perfect timing. Johnny Johnny goes out. He always get, was going to. So when you do your speed ratings, are you going from the first horse... 100%. It's, it's, it's the race in terms of the race shape. So it's the first yeah. horse that hits the 600, um, and then obviously the first horse that hits the last 600 because, mark. To the because first Babylon Berlin, actually, you can make a case that Babylon Berlin had a pretty soft run. Because Mercurial, she's actually, she's one off Mercurial. She doesn't get, it would have been better if she was on the outside of Mercurial. But then, as you pointed out, I don't know making too much about the inside of the track. She was getting a bit of kickback, but I don't know. Like she just, she she half let down and then she didn't. But so what I don't understand, right, is if we're saying that this this tempo is the reason that Ytax won, how on earth has Mercurial gone sideways, cost himself two lengths, and then kept running and run that well? A horse that was something like sixty dollars in the market. Well, I think the race shape has has been a a factor of why YTAC won. I wouldn't say it's purely been the reason why YTAC's run. I, I, look, I come back to this. I don't think it was a fluke with YTAC. He might be a, a genuine class um, star no, yeah. over the sprint Trump. So, um, yeah. look, uh, if it was a crawl and sprint, it would have made YTAC almost impossible to win. But, look, the, the, the way they've run the race, it's given every horse an opportunity, in particular those horses that have been in the neutral position. And, look, full credit to Mercurial. 
stepping up in grade uh, to group one level is fought on, veered out from basically the 200 metres, affected a few other horses, their chances, uh, questionable whether that would have changed the result. But yeah, look, they, they just went too bad to be true Babylon Berlin's uh, and mm. Sacred Satano. And whether that was the track, well, look, we may never know. Um, but they're definitely worth another crack. Whether that we'll see those two horses in the Telegraph remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I always feel when a horse is beaten that far out, in particular Sacred Satono, there's something else that's causing the effect there, whether it's the track, whether it's something internal with the horse or whatever. But uh, yeah, we just wish these horses could talk to and we'd get it a, a lot sharper <laughs> and quicker to going forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it was incredible, really. I mean, what a great day. So um, Habana, Warren Kennedy's got him to lunge on the line there. In the, the Rich Hill, they went pretty quick. Wessex always was going to. Um, they, it's funny because, so Habana's racing with a dirt. So um, we have got uh, Cognito, who was racing there with uh, Arby, isn't it? Um, and they were all kind of favoured. I, I thought that those horses were all going to go very close. I, I kind of didn't think... Habana was going to be the one out of that lot that was going to be able to let down the best with that weight. But, I mean, what an incredible training effort. And you could kind of see the satisfaction on Lance Noble's face, couldn't you, Stephen? Because I think getting a, a top weight to win a competitive Group 2 mile like this and a horse that's as quirky as him, that's a really, really satisfying training win. You know, I think with what happened at Trentham as well, they primed this horse up to win a Group 1 over 1,600 metres. He was ideally, well, I wouldn't say ideally placed at weight for age, but he was just, look, it was a up. real sense of timing. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was on the up to peak a few weeks back at Trentham, and we all know what unfolded. It was a farce, and we don't need to go back there. But they would have gone home that day pretty upset of how it all unfolded, even though the horse still ran a gallant fifth. But to come back on its home track, as you say, top weight. Look, this horse has carried big weight in the past, but probably not at this level against this quality field. Yes, the race shape suited. Uh, it was a very strongly run race. They've gone out to the 600, 7.4 lengths above open class, which you compare it to the other 1,600-metre races on the day, the 65 and the 3-year-old early on the program, 14, 14 laps faster than those two. So they have gone along, uh, which did suit those horses again, neutral and at the back end, and... On that score, I thought the performance of the of the race and almost the day for horses that didn't win would have to be St. Bathurst, purely because this horse was on speed, it was three wide facing the breeze, off that very strong tempo, and it still had the audacity to mm. be in front basically to the very end and only got nutted on the line by, like we say, Habana with the big weight. So, look, Andrew's got some thinking to do around St. Bathurst. He's just come back from Australia. He's not nominated for a Thornton Mile, but I do believe there are late acceptances between now and race day so you'd be tempting be very tempting st beth and set weights and penalties wouldn't be ideally suited but it wouldn't be horrible in the weights and again that thornton could fall away depending on how horses pull up out of the rich hill and other races going forward now nah, that's a really nice thought and i thought the same thing i thought it was a massive a massive run um to be honest now it kind of proved the theory a, a wee bit around the backup as well because a lot of horses that ran well on Boxing Day or won on Boxing Day even or, or just ran on Boxing Day, turned up here and performed um, really, really well. And one of those was about time. Look, I couldn't see it. I was wrong. The market collapsed around her. I thought that that was a bit false personally. I watched that replay so many times from um, 
the the Boxing Day Phillies race, and I just I just couldn't see her going that good through the line, but she's turned up and she has pulled away, and she's ten dollars in the Oaks market. Mary Shan Orchestral Molly Bloom. I mean, no one's going to be shocked if none of those horses turn up. Or oh, and Quintessa. I think about time if she goes to the Oaks, she'll be a real threat. You have to agree. Um, look, she's probably gone under my radar just going into that race on New Year's Day. Um, look, she was very good at Tarapa two starts back in a tidy three-year-old race. Uh, she boxed on well, even though she was beaten on Boxing Day by a decent margin and behind Mary Shan and a couple of other tidy fillies, uh, Molly Bloom, etc. So, uh, you, look, you go back to that uh, quick backup from Boxing Day to New Year's Day. It was a real sweet spot, and I've learned just in recent times for horses that are backing up within a week and they strike a genuine soft track, and those particular horses are stepping up in distance. And there's a few of those on the day. You mm. talk about oh, about time, 16 to 2,000 metres. Also, the QE2, Trust in You, stepping from 2,000 to 4. Those horses on the quick backup, stepping over distance, it's a lethal combo, and it's a combo that a lot of pros gravitate towards. We had 13 runners that backed up from Boxing Day to New Year's Day. I'd say 90% of those runners, Louis, were genuine firmers and significant firmers on race day. You look at Trust and you halved its quote from the original price. About time, very similar. Reverberations in the rating 75.14 halved its quote. Billy Bunter also firmed. And there was only yeah. one or two horses that firmed in the last. 18 yes. to 16. Now, it's not a big firm, but you look at the overall summary of the race and Ominous, who was, it was just a truckload of money purely on the Warren, uh, Warren factor that 99% of those horses drifted because of the weight of money on the favourite Ominous. But Billy Bunt is one of those horses that were firmed from its original quote, 18 to 16, and was a backup runner. So, look, on the SP lines, the actual winners in terms of those backup horses, the expected winners was 1.72. Well, there was three winners out of those 13 runners, which was quite telling. And definitely one angle I undervalued when I was pricing New Year's Day off Boxing Day. And, and to just to, um, like to explain this just one step further or just a little bit simpler, uh, Hunty, it's essentially you're saying backing, so horses backing up, they've got not just residual fitness, they've got real fitness in their legs. Um, so usually they're, they're ready, they're rock hard. And you're saying that backing up over distance, so that's one thing in their favour because they're, they're probably going to be a little bit more dour, they're less fresh. And then also the soft track, it just gives them the edge over their rivals that might feel the pinch a little bit um, as, as the race gets harder and uh, the, the track isn't as easy to skip over. 100%. And look, that, this doesn't happen. It's not a regular occurrence. You've got to find carnivals like over Christmas, New Year. Hopefully years go forward that we're not talking about rain-affected tracks, but you look at Christchurch slash Rickerton where you've got those three-day carnivals, it can be a real sweet spot and something to come back to. As I say, horses yeah. on a quick backup, yeah. they might have run on the first Saturday, back up on the Wednesday or the, the following Saturday over uh, Grand National Week or New Zealand Cup Week. You identify these carnivals where you've got the opportunity for horses to back up on the identical track. And as you say, if you get a genuine soft, which we had on Boxing Day, oh, sorry, on New Year's Day, off Boxing Day, and the horse is stepping up and trip, quite often they'll be right in the finish and the market will gravitate towards them. Yep, and you know, with that in mind, I, I think that Velocious, if you're a fan of Velocious, you just, 
you've got nothing to worry about because she was underdone and she was not there to necessarily be beating cool and fast. And Electric Star was really, really good. But I think that Stephen Marsh has been quite uh, methodical and quite thoughtful about when he wants Velocious to be peaking, obviously the Karaka Million. So she would have felt that probably it wasn't the track that she would have loved and she wasn't rock hard fit for it. So that's the inverse of that. So she's $4 favourite, equo favourite with Cool and Fast. And I'll get you out on this one, um, Stephen. The three-year-old Karaka Million field, very interesting. Molly Bloom, the deserved $3 favourite. I am a little bit surprised that Lupo Solitario is still co-second favourite, to be honest. Um, maybe there's an excuse to say that he didn't see orchestral coming, and again, he won't be screwed down, but neither will she, and I thought she bet him quite comfortably, to be honest. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. We've got a heavy liability on Lupo Solitario, so probably something that internally... Okay, You've been able, right. unable to see Louis. Uh, look, he was well punted when we opened that original market or going back a, a fair few months now on Lupo Solitario. Yeah. He may not have had a, a run under his belt and it was just back off trials when we first framed that market. I think he was roughly 26, 30 to 1 and the owners and the connections got stuck in. So there's a heavy liability around Lupo Solitario, which we've got to taken when we're when we're uh, quoting his price going forward but look you're right i think on face value it's hard to argue around orchestral uh or lupo turning the tables on kestrel look barrier jaws will be pivotal i will say around lupo solitario he was fairly soft in the market in terms of turnover uh, and dollars invested on him i know he was quite firm late in the piece he got out to 220 firm back into even money i backed solitario, him but <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, you weren't alone. A lot of a lot of astute judges. Uh, I'm not saying you're astute, Louis, but uh, uh, there was a lot of <laughs> judges that continued with Lupo Solitari. But there was a couple of factors. Just looking back at the race in general, Denisa did say prior to the race that look they hadn't done much between the Bone Crusher, which was a Group Three and a high stake, and they picked that horse for that. Then they've got to start again. They've got to recharge the horse and peak the horse to the back end of Jan. So. I think they were pretty happy to sacrifice this race. Now, yeah. punters might not like hearing that, but knowing that it was a shifty track, yeah. it was a, not a stakes race. It was just a genuine three-year-old set weights and penalties over 1,600 metres. Something probably had to give if he was to peak again come the back end of Jan. And I just want to see the source. I want to see Lupo off a fast-run race. And again, we saw a glorified crawl and sprint when Orchestral won on uh, New Year's Day. I just want to see him in a hot, contested 1,600 metres, which surely we can get in a big field at the back end of Ellerslie and the Kadaka Classic. So, look, I wouldn't be uh, chucking him away. I think if he can be in a race that's a fast tempo, he can find his feet and really chase on a good track, he may he may be able to turn the tables on orchestral and give Molly Bloom a big fright when it comes to that feature. Yeah, look, I, I think you're 100% will. Look, that's why Prowess won the race last year, because she was the superior stayer and um, and then I think about like a horse like Pin Me Up and that, that Karaka Million just flying because the tempo was so hot. So the bubble always pops there. Don't worry. And it will be the horses that are fit and that have that big motor. That's why the ace-high element of Molly Bloom will do her a world of good. I think she's going to be very hard to roll now she started to figure out how to run a race. Hunty, this has been great. Extended chat with you this morning. Learned a lot. I think that is really valuable, a really valuable thought around the um, up over distance soft track backup. I'm going to put that in my back pocket. So that's really good stuff. Very generous of you to share your findings and secrets with us this morning. Uh, have, a, have a good rest of the week, buddy.
Hey, cheers, Louis. Oh, look, you're always learning in this game, aren't you? And you know, I'm learning off pundits. I'm learning off other astute judges out there. And that, that's the beauty of this game. You just can't sit in your laurels because you'll be caught up and overtaken. And uh, and we saw that on an example over the Christmas New Year period. And it, gee, it's been a tough one. It's been a tough one setting the odds. It's been a tough one for pundits the last two weeks. We get back to some normality basically after today, a two a two day or two meetings today, and then it gets back to basically the norm for the rest of the week and going over Wellington Cup Carnival, etc. So, look, it doesn't stop, but it has been a tricky period with the rain and whatnot. But, look, we've come out on the other end. Punters have had the old feast up in terms of uh, collecting, which you touch on New Year's Day and other meetings. Taupo was a bit of a clean-up as well for punters, but uh, that's the name of the game. It's a bit of give and take there and there. And uh, just don't miss race six today. There's a, a pour-the-wine set-up in Marengo. Don't worry, you've got it short <laughs> enough, though. You'll be, I've you'll seen be safe. I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> you'll be safe. Yeah, look, I think that's peak price. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You'll be safe there. $8, pour the wine. Come on. What are these algorithms doing? Silver Javelin was fat. I can't believe that still. Right, I need to go. I'm way behind time. See you, Stephen. There you go. Stephen Goodbye. Hunt, tab.co.nz. Uh, 29 away from 11. Back after this.